Welcome to Meet Me at the Movies. Noel T. Manning II here with uh, Thomas Manning. And uh, we're, we're chatting films. And, and i got to say, uh, Thomas, this is a uh, Greg Tillman-inspired episode. Uh, not too long ago, he sent a text and he said, hey, man, look at this. And so he was uh, showing off, I guess, showing off his knowledge about films from 1992 even though well, he found on. it was somewhere it, was else. Was it an article? Yeah, it was an article he found. So it's not it's not his knowledge, is it? But, you know. <laughs> Somebody else's research, but he said, hey, look. And so I'm like, you know, that's a good idea. We'll, we'll, we'll celebrate the films of 92. And there are some amazing films. Uh, and there's no way we're going to get all the ones that we'd like to. So we might have a volume one and a volume two. But uh, as always, if you've got ideas and you want to send those our way, you can do that uh, via the non-viewer mail, and that's info at c19.tv, info at c19.tv, or you can just text Greg Tillman, uh, and we'll put his phone number at the bottom of yeah. the screen right there, uh, 555 I think he'd love that. One, two. He would love that. <laughs> he would love that. Well, Thomas, I'll let you start off, man, uh, celebrating the films of 1992. All right, we're talking about the films of 1992, so there's a very obvious one that we'll get to at some point, but I won't do that right off the bat. Uh, I'll kind of let you introduce that, and we'll talk a little bit back and forth about that. But the one I want to mention first is uh, Sneakers from 1992. Incredible ensemble cast. you got the late, great Sidney Poitier, uh, Robert Redford, River Phoenix, Dan Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley. Uh, very much a film that was ahead of its time. Uh, it's a commentary on uh, the age of surveillance and it was kind of there right on the edge of the digital revolution just in the decade leading up to it and um going back we watched that together a couple years ago and i think we watched it in 2020 and watching it during that time and just seeing how much of it was so incredibly relevant the things that continue to transpire and continue to evolve in our current you know digital landscape of uh, of the world uh, it's, it's truly fascinating. It's also a bit of a heist and caper film. Uh, it's just so much fun. Like I've heard interviews from some of the cast that that was probably the most fun they've ever had in the film set. And uh, I think it really shows. Um, so Sneakers from uh, 1992, same director as Field of Dreams, I believe. And I know Field of Dreams is one of your favorites. Yeah, such a, such an amazing uh, film on a lot of different levels, and uh, Phil Alden uh, Robinson uh, was the writer and the director uh, of this. Uh, you know, you mentioned some of the cast, but man, I mean, the cast gets so deep. Uh, River Phoenix, uh, who uh, was just an amazing talent, we lost him way earlier than we should have. Uh, also, uh, Mary McConnell in this, Dan Aykroyd uh, as well, uh, and just a film that to me is, is timeless in so many different ways. And uh, like you said, ahead of its time uh, at the same time, but sneakers from 92 uh, one well worth uh, revisiting. And I love to revisit that one. Any chance I get, it's just a, it's just a solid film. Uh, and it was one of those that kind of uh, really came in kind of under the radar 
that year, even though it had this incredible cast, it wasn't what you would consider kind of those blockbuster types of films. But man, absolutely love sneakers uh, from 1992. Well, Thomas, I'm going to go to uh, an Oscar uh, award-winning film uh, from 92. This was a Western, and uh, Westerns really didn't get a whole lot of love for a while. And uh, Clint Eastwood, of course, is synonymous uh, with the Western, or he was uh, back during the late 60s and the 70s. Uh, and here he is in 1992 uh, bringing uh, Gene Hackman uh, on, as well as Morgan Freeman, uh, in a film that, that got nine Oscar nominations, including four wins. And we're talking big wins as well, uh, including a Best Picture, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, uh, and Best Director also for the, for the editing uh, in this for Joel Cox. But, man... Such a, a wonderful film, and uh, it was a Western that had heart, it had purpose, it had meaning, uh, and it was one of those that really w- would kind of make you think uh, in a lot of different ways. And uh, uh, all in all, uh, there were 50 award wins for this throughout award season, so uh, it was a well-loved film. The film was called Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. Yeah, well, 30 years later, I still have not found a way to watch Unforgiven yet. I mean, I have a way to do it. I just haven't done so, <laughs> I, which I know I really need to amend that. Um, and I've seen some of Clint Eastwood's you know, older spaghetti westerns from the late 60s and 70s, uh, but just haven't gotten around to the big Oscar winner for him. Uh, but I think I have uh, been a fan of other elements in pop culture that have been inspired by Unforgiven, uh, specifically Old Man Logan, the comic, and then Logan, the film in 2017 with Hugh Jackman, uh, seems to be very, you know, tonally and thematically derived from Unforgiven and, you know, the, I guess, the last ride for the cowboy. And, yes. Uh, so um, it's, it's interesting that even though I haven't seen the film Unforgiven itself, I've seen its influence on, you know, storytelling over the decades. Uh, but, you know, I definitely want to make it a point to go back to the roots and actually watch Unforgiven, which I will do so uh, after, you know, after discussing this, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll finally go do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's hope so, man. So next time I'll actually quiz you on it and there'll be some, uh, some good little uh, movie quotes. I think we can, we can bring up uh, as well. Well, what else is on your list from the films of 1992? So kind of uh, going along the same Western lines, but in a different direction from, um, the next generation of Western filmmakers, uh, El Mariachi from Robert Rodriguez. And uh, this was, when, when you hear about the filmmakers truly bootstrapping it, this is like the ultimate bootstrapping directorial debut. $7,000 budget. He made this movie <laughs> for $7,000. And what's even crazier is that it grossed over $2 million worldwide. Um, so it actually holds the Guinness world record for the lowest budgeted film to ever, uh, cross $1 million at the box office and ended up making 2 million total. Um, and it has all the trademarks that we've come to know from Robert Rodriguez. Uh, you know, you've got this, you know, the lone cowboy wandering through a town with a guitar on his back. And it just, that's a truly iconic image in itself uh danny trejo pops up for a cameo appearance and um even it's just it's really wildly impressive that a film that was made pr- for pretty much dirt cheap looks as good as it does yes. and has 
he was still able, uh, Robert Rodriguez was still able to pull so much like from his innermost artistic style and still translate on to that screen with so many limited resources. And uh, so watching El Mariachi um, and then compare that to a few years later, um, he made Desperado and seeing what he can do with a budget that's like, you know, however, I think Desperado's budget had $7 million compared to 7000 for El Mariachi. <laughs> so to watch those back to back, that's a really fun experience. But, you know, ultimately it all started with El Mariachi and uh, it's, um, you know, a really fascinating directorial debut to go back and study and to see the trajectory that has sent Robert Rodriguez along uh, in, you know, the next three decades of his career. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you talk about Rodriguez and he was a producer, director, writer, uh, special effects guy. I mean, he, he pretty much did it all. I think the only thing he, he really didn't uh, have his have his fingers in, uh, you know, was acting because, you know, nobody else could run the cameras. And so he, he did it all. But I, I will say that I love the t- uh, one of the taglines for this. And this tagline's perfect. And it says, with a guitar in hand and a price on his head, he wasn't looking for trouble, but trouble came looking for him. <laughs> so, did this tagline. movie? Did this movie actually take place in Boiling Springs, North Carolina? <laughs> yeah, and we were, okay. uh, and, and it was actually, uh, it was a movie. It was actually based on the story of Greg Tillman, uh, who, of course, anybody knows Greg knows he'll have a guitar somewhere close by. So, there you go, uh, the story of Greg Tillman, and you know, you talk about awards for uh, for El Mariachi. Uh, I mean, it, it it brought in some awards as well. Uh, throughout the festival circuit, uh, especially uh, the film Independent Spirit Awards, uh, it was a uh, debut, best debut feature from Rodriguez, and also uh, it was nominated uh, for best director. Uh, and you talked about the Guinness World Records that got that National Board of Review uh, best foreign film, which was interesting uh, winner for that. Uh, and also the uh, National Film Preservation Board gave this a, a winner in Sundance. Of course, uh, celebrated this um, with a nominee for the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award winner uh, from Sundance from that year. The film is called Mariachi. Well, I'm, I'm uh, taking a page out of history, Thomas, with my next one and, and talk about, you know, a talent that, that found a way to, to shine and do it in a way that really was unlike what he had done before. Spike Lee brought the story of Malcolm X uh, to the screen uh, with Denzel Washington and uh, Delroy Lindo and uh, Angela Bassett. And I remember uh, watching this with a couple of uh, friends from uh, from Gardner-Webb and just being absolutely amazed at the scope of this film, the production value of this film. I mean, the, the cast, you can go on and on about just the, the significance of this cast and who they were and still are, and the director uh, himself was Spike Lee. But this film was just absolutely uh, phenomenal on a lot of different levels, and it, it did get uh, some love during award season. And one of the things that's, that's typically happened uh, with Spike Lee in the past is, uh, you know, once it gets to award season, especially once it gets to uh, the Oscars, uh, they, they've not really loved him like they should, especially in some of these films that, um, should have been these films that just really shine big time. But Malcolm X is one, Thomas, that 
uh, highly recommend. And uh, and not too long ago, uh, I was watching um, Michael Mann's Ali, and uh, Malcolm X does play a, a role in that storyline as well. And uh, and the One Night in Miami film where there's Malcolm X and Ali, I tell you, talk about a triple feature. This might be a very interesting uh, triple feature with, with those three films, but uh, talk about a, 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 a biopic that is an epic uh, biopic, uh, Malcolm X from 1992, uh, one that is well worth checking out. Uh, it was nominated for, for two Oscars, uh, and it did win in other categories. It was nominated uh, for Best Actor uh, in a Leading Role and also Best Costume Design uh, with Ruth Carter, uh, who has uh, worked with uh, Spike Lee in the past. Yeah, and so you mentioned it really being an epic. It's, what, three-plus hours in length, and they just don't make historical biopics like that anymore. And uh, really, even at that time, I think that was an, a, chief, a testament in itself to Spike Lee's, um, you know, just his status as a filmmaker, um, that he was able to get the green light on that. Um, and, like, today, I think he would unfortunately have even more uh, difficulty getting a studio to give him the go ahead on that. So I think it's, you know, just very special that he was able to do that in 92. And, um, you know, hopefully, um, I think we've seen the transition in recent years that some of the streaming studios like Netflix and Amazon are giving more creative control to filmmakers and, uh, giving more funding. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll see another you know, epic biopic like this in the years to come. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think it was uh, pretty amazing that they were willing to give him that kind of control over something such uh, of significant filmmaking, uh, 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 epic filmmaking ability. And he did it. And he did it uh, big time, big time. Well, you're watching Meet Me at the Movies right here on C19 TV. And if you're listening to the radio version, WGWG, we appreciate that as well. Uh, you're watching... Uh, films from 1992, celebrating the films of 1992, Volume 1. We'll go ahead and say Volume 1 because uh, I know we're going to have a Volume 2 as well. So hang around uh, after this quick intermission. We will be back with more uh, right here on Meet Me at the Movies. So uh, stick around. Give me a head with hair, long, beautiful hair, shining, gleaming, streaming, flaxing, waxing. Give me down to there. Shoulder length longer yeah. Here baby, there mama Everywhere daddy, daddy hey. yeah. Grow it, show it Long as I can grow it my hair I let it fly in the breeze Fact, COVID-19 vaccines are safe and effective. Millions of doses have already been given in the United States and these vaccines have the most intensive safety monitoring in U.S. history. If you have questions, get answers from a reliable source, cdc.gov. At CCC, we're all about training students for exciting careers. Our Barber Academy is a great example. Did you know jobs for barbers, stylists, and other related fields are increasing? Competition for the best jobs will be strong. With your CCC training, you'll have a definite edge. Our courses give you the skills and knowledge you need to sit for North Carolina's apprentice barber exam. To move up the ladder, you need at least one year of on-the-job training before you take the state's registered barber exam. If you pass, it's official. You'll be a registered barber. While private barber schools can cost $10,000 or more, 
CCC makes it affordable. Plus, you can complete our Barber Academy in only 15 months. Now the question is, are you ready to start your journey today? Education is our most powerful tool to improve and change our world. Hi, I'm Rhonda Benfield, your host for School Matters. Join me for a new program every other week with information from and about the students and staff of Cleveland County Schools. Discover what our schools are doing to challenge students and help them reach their full potential. You can catch us on Spectrum Cable Channel 19 or stream us live on C19.tv. Won't you come and meet me at the movies? Won't you come and watch... Hi, and welcome back into Meet Me at the Movies. This is our second time recording this take because uh, there was a bit of confusion. Who's bringing us back? Am I bringing us back? Is Noel bringing us back? Because we're both <laughs> Noel Thomas Manning, so you can understand the confusion there. But anyway, we are talking about our favorite films from a 1992 on this special episode of Meet Me at the Movies. And there's one I teased it at the opening of the show... And I think if you go back and take a look at the history of Meet Me in the Movies across what's how many years have we been on the show? Like five, six years, something along those lines. <laughs> a few. <laughs> this so this film, this is probably the film that, that we've discussed more than any other. We've probably mentioned it uh, just for the sake of mentioning it, and we've also had some really great discussions about it. And, you know, I guess there is some sort of reason for that. Uh, you know, Noel, do you want to remind me why we talked about Last of the Mohican so much? You know, besides, <laughs> besides from the fact that it is a true American masterpiece and it's, you know, one of cinema's finest achievements, but there's also a few other, you know, maybe personal connections we have to it. Sure. Yeah. In 1991, the film was shot mostly in North Carolina. Uh, and I got a chance to be a part of, of that. Uh, talking about epics, we were talking about the epic of, of Spike Lee's. Uh, uh, Malcolm X before the break and Michael Mann taking on uh, the 1750s uh, in the pre-revolutionary war time period, uh, the French and Indians, uh, the French and Indian war. So you've got uh, the British and the French really kind of battling it out for the continent and uh, all that goes along with that. And uh, it was a, a truly a, a amazing film on so many different levels. The technical aspects, the, the cinematography, the casting of, of Daniel Day-Lewis uh, in the lead. And, you know, he was coming off Oscar wins. And so uh, all eyes were on him without a doubt. And Michael Mann had never done anything of this scope before. You know, he talked about what Spike Lee did with Malcolm X. Well, well Michael Mann had never done anything like this. I mean, not just a, a period piece, but a, a period piece that goes back a few hundred years uh, and, and trying to capture the story, uh, the action, the drama, everything from this uh, James Fenmore Cooper novel and bringing it to life. And uh, Michael Mann, just such a technical genius and someone who pays true attention to detail. Uh, it, was, it was absolutely phenomenal to be a part of it and then to be able to see it come alive on screen. Uh, I remember uh, sitting in Charlotte, uh, for the uh, for the premiere of it, uh, the, the kind of North Carolina premiere of it, and man, I just I just sat there with my my jaw open uh, most of the time, and of course, uh, got a chance to check it out with Greg Tillman a little bit later, and so I was giving him kind of the uh, the DVD commentary, Blu-ray commentary throughout the film, 
saying, okay, I was over here at this time. This time. Oh, this took 20 takes. Oh, Michael Mann was really ticked off in this scene. So, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was doing the commentary and, and you and I have taught, maybe I need to do a commentary at some point uh, and just record that. So we'll, we'll see, but uh, it did win a couple of BAFTA awards, uh, best uh, makeup for uh, Peter Rob King. Uh, also Dante Spinotti got best cinematography. Uh, and the uh, soundtrack for this is one, Thomas, that still is such a solid, solid soundtrack. Um, uh, Trevor Jones and uh, Randy Edelman uh, on this. But I talked about the production design. Uh, Wolf Kroger um, did that. But I uh, did win an Oscar for Best Sound. But uh, Last of Mohicans uh, talk about films standing the test of time. This is one that is standing uh, the test of time for Michael Mann. Yeah, please, please do that DVD commentary for it uh, because <laughs> I, I honestly think that would kind of find a home with a lot of fans of Michael Mann because Mann has such a devoted fan base, and it's not like the biggest fan base out there of directors, but the fans that do love him just absolutely adore him and are fully devoted. And I think if you you know recorded a commentary from your perspective as someone working on the you know, working with the assistant director. Uh, you would have so many incredible stories. And I just think that would be a really fascinating thing to hear. Um, and one more note just about this film's production, watching some of the behind the scenes uh, and interviews with Michael Mann. One of my favorite notes is that um, Michael Mann wanted to find a place to film that was like so remote and so kind of out truly in the wilderness that he didn't even want to see plane contrails. He didn't want to, he wanted to be in a place where, uh, no, there were no like air traffic routes overhead where you would see, you know, the jet streams. And, uh, that just goes to show how incredibly obsessive uh, and detail oriented Michael Mann is, Michael Mann is as a filmmaker. And, uh, that's why Last of the Mohicans is just that. That's just one of the reasons why Last of the Mohicans is so immersive. And when you're watching it, you truly do feel kind of engrossed in that 1757, upstate New York, um, you know, environment, even though it was filmed in North Carolina, it's still, I think if you compared 1757 upstate New York to uh, North Carolina, you wouldn't see many differences just because it is so um, just Michael Mann's detail orientation. Yeah. Be beautiful, beautiful film. And I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that yet again, right here on meet me at the movies. Well, well Thomas, uh, one of your favorite dance scenes uh, in a film um, comes to us from a guy that you actually got a chance to meet uh, when you and I went out to uh, the New Beverly uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, theater. Uh, Michael Madsen uh, had this great dance scene in the film called Reservoir Dogs. And man, that's what we're going to talk about right now. We are talking about Reservoir Dogs. And I got to say, Michael Madsen, he played this character who was so sadistic and just so chilling and just, I mean, he was, he was crazy. Um, but in real life, <laughs> in real life, Michael Madsen couldn't be nicer. Just such a nice guy. And I'm so glad we got a chance to talk to him. And, uh, that was a really cool Q and a he had after uh screening once Upon a time in Hollywood there at the new Beverly. Uh, but yeah, so once Upon a time in Hollywood was Tarantino's most recent film, but his first film his directorial debut was reservoir dogs in 92. And, uh, I think really from the opening scene, this film at the diner, um, where you have the camera spinning around the table and all of these kind of sleazy but well-dressed guys. They're just sitting around talking. They're talking about 
interpreting uh, different elements from pop culture. They're talking about, uh, you know, like a version by Madonna. And then there's the conversation about tipping where, uh, you know, Steve Buscemi doesn't believe in tipping and just all of these things where it's these, you know, people don't, it's, it kind of straddles the line between real conversations that people have, but also taking that and exaggerating it into this kind of fantasy landscape of Tarantino and uh, just all of that within the first 15 minutes um, sets the pace for the next three decades of uh, Tarantino as a storyteller. Um, and, you know, this film, it's it's got the extreme violence. It's got the um, it's got the blood squirting everywhere. Uh, it's got the the extreme use of profanity. Um, that, it's pure Tarantino. Yes, it is. Even Tarant at that time, yeah. he, he found himself, he knew himself, and he knew what he wanted to do on screen, even at that early, early yeah. time in his life. Yeah, and he, I mean, this was a film uh, not quite as low-budgeted as uh, El Mariachi from his good friend Robert Rodriguez, who had his directorial debut in the same year. But still, this was made for just a little more than a million dollars. And uh, when you have a cast like this, when you have like Harvey Keitel in there and Steve Buscemi, Tim Roth, the fact that all these guys, uh, I'm sure they took quite a decent um, pay cut in order to make this film because they knew they saw something special in this Tarantino kid from, uh, from L.A. And um, another really interesting behind the scenes note about this, uh, Tim Roth, he's actually wearing black jeans. Uh, because they they couldn't afford like dress pants for his uh, character uh, for his uh, <laughs> costume design, so uh, you know uh, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, the kings of uh, bootstrap filmmaking in the early 1990s. Yeah, this this film talk about some awards love. It got a lot of awards love uh, during the, through the festival circuit, uh, and it was was a film that uh, that set uh, Tarantino up for what was. Uh, to come and man, I mean, he's he's become a favorite of yours and mine just from his uh, filmmaking sensibilities and his creativity. Uh, that's that's just the, the pure beauty to me of of Tarantino is he's so creative uh, in everything that he attempts, uh, and it shows and it and it shows well. Uh, Reservoir Dogs from 1992. We, we can talk about uh, Batman Returns, and uh, so I'm going to be totally honest. I've only seen this movie one time, but it was it was a random July afternoon that I watched it sometime in middle school, I believe. So it's been over a decade, but I still remember quite vividly that Danny DeVito gives one of the most bizarre and memorable comic book villain performances ever. <laughs> like I think, and I think this movie is the perfect peak of Tim Burton finding a way to combine his kind of ludicrousness and outlandishness with his just innate talent and ability as a storyteller. Um, you know, I think this is probably Burton's um, might, I mean, it might be his best film. He's, he's made a lot of great films, but he's also had a lot of misses as well. But I think this one is kind of where he found that perfect rhythm that he'd been searching for. And uh, of course, Michelle Pfeiffer is Catwoman. Uh, you know, Pfeiffer as Catwoman, Dan DeVito as Penguin, such an, interesting pairing as uh, two supervillains going after Michael Keaton's Batman and uh, you know Danny Elfman's score is uh, you know stands the, the test of time 
And uh, so, yeah, 1992 Batman Returns from Tim Burton. And, uh, you know, we only got two Michael Keaton Batman films. And, uh, but this was, I think, it's interesting when you look at the trajectory of Batman films over the years, how sometimes the sequel is regarded in, um, in higher esteem than the original. Uh, I think Batman 89 and Batman Returns are both great, but I think Returns is usually seen as perhaps even greater than the original. It's the same with Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, the uh, yeah. Nolan Batman films. Uh, so that's just interesting trait to see in uh, as far as the evolution of Batman films. Well, you've been watching uh, films from 1992, celebrating the films of 92. Uh, we're not saying the best of because there are quite a few that we did not get to uh, that I wanted to, to chat about. But uh, maybe we'll come back for a volume two at some point. Uh, you have been watching Meet Me in the Movies right here on C19 TV and listening through WGWG and online WGWG.org. Uh, always send us an email uh, if you have questions, comments, thoughts, suggestions. Uh, that email is info at C19.TV. So until next time, I will leave you with a movie quote, and this movie quote does not come from 1992. This comes from Ms. Marvel. Uh, Mrs. Marvel, the, the TV series, good is not a thing you are. It's a thing you do. Uh, it could have been written by uh, Aaron Sorkin right there. So until next time for Meet Me in the Movies, that's Thomas Manning. I'm Nolte Manning II, and uh, we appreciate Greg Tillman for inspiring this show. And uh, get that guitar, and let's uh, do some uh, mariachi music, Greg. Until next time, that's a wrap.